Let us pray together. Loving God, you've already heard Heidi Best's prayer. And we join her in asking for your Holy Spirit to come fall upon us and to set us free and to bring us to new understanding and new living. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The man born blind had never been been able to see what actually happens when he's out there begging by the city gate. But some of his other friends have told him what happens. You see, as passers-by catch sight of him sitting there with his outstretched hand, they suddenly become fascinated with the birds up in the sky or the dirt underneath their fingernails, and they walk right by him. If this blind man could actually see, he'd see most people managing never to see him. Never to see him. As they all quickly walk right by him. But then one day, a rabbi from Nazareth comes along, and this guy is different. He comes walking along at three miles an hour, just like everybody else, but then he slows down to two miles an hour, then to one mile an hour, and then, lo and behold, he stops. And suddenly this blind man feels something new and strange. This Jesus is actually seeing him. He can feel it. And friends, it's at that moment where Jesus' healing of this man actually begins. Not later when we get to the saliva and the mud part. And I can't wait till we get to there. <laughs> Jesus' healing begins right here. When he sees this man long invisible and treats him like the beloved child of God that he really is. Because as we will see here today in this text, God's healing is concerned with so very much more than just the elimination of disease. So friends, let's, uh, let's step into this blind man's dusty sandals for a moment. Remember, we're centuries, centuries before antibiotics. And blindness is, in the Middle East, distressingly common. For some folks, like this blind man, it comes at birth. For many others, the world suddenly goes dark because of trachoma, leprosy, or some other dread disease. 
Whatever way it comes, it always comes as a complete disaster. I invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes. And imagine yourself suddenly blind in the ancient world. What are you going to do now for a living? How are you going to get around? Who will support you? You can open your eyes again. The thing is, dear friends, this man's plight is even more desperate than we might imagine. To be blind in the ancient world, especially the Hebrew world, is to experience a triple whammy, a triple whammy of suffering and isolation. In addition to his physical suffering, there is also the spiritual suffering. Because in Jesus' day, it is simply assumed that this man's suffering is God's direct punishment for his sin. According to Deuteronomy 28, blindness is simply one of the ways that God is said to punish human disobedience. So, imagine our blind friend. Caring. Since childhood. Since childhood. This crushing sense of God's punishment. And since he was born blind, for the sins of the previous generation. There's also a third part to his suffering in blindness. Not just the physical, not just the spiritual, but also the relational suffering that comes from being regarded as unclean and impure. Jewish law protects the blind from being tricked or misled. But still... The blind, according to Leviticus 21, can never serve as priests because their presence is believed to profane, to profane the sanctuary of God. So imagine being avoided as a pariah your whole life and kept always at the margins of your faith community, and imagine your vulnerability in needing to rely on a community that feels that way about you. You're blind after all. So gathering in front of this blind man today, the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned here? Who did it? This man or his parents? They assume, of course, that we live in a mechanistic universe of cause and effect. A cosmic vending machine kind of world where you put in a good deed and you draw out a blessing. Or 
You put in a sin and you get back suffering and disease and punishment from God. Now, we might all laugh at that kind of worldview, but I found that when Danette and I were struggling with infertility, how deep that worldview is in my own DNA. Wondering if we were being punished by God for some unknown thing in our lives. So in the disciples' question, who sinned here? We see this same understanding of reality that is so common, especially in the church. And think about how devastating this worldview is. If you are fortunate enough to be healthy or wealthy, then that means that God is blessing you. You won the lottery. But if you're unfortunate enough to be born poor or blind, God is punishing you. And in the Hebrew ancient world, often that punishment is for life. Your whole life. According to the disciples, the world is just that simple. To which Jesus answers, no, it's not that simple. It's not that simple. Jesus radically rejects the automatic link between sin and disability. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus says. And in these brief words now, Jesus brings this blind man great spiritual healing, setting him free, liberating him from his life sentence of suffering that is assumed to come from God. Now, is Jesus saying here that there's never a connection between sin and disease? I don't think so. But Jesus instead is inviting us to stop thinking of the world as a cosmic vending machine where people put in a good act and receive a blessing, where people put in a sin and receive a punishment from God. Now, this is very complex stuff, folks, and you know this. Because, of course, good actions also often have positive consequences, don't they? And bad actions often have bad consequences in our lives. If you shoot up on heroin, it can kill you. But it's not automatic. Just ask Job, right? Just ask Job. He struggled with the question of why do good people sometimes suffer terrible disease and misfortune and other people engaged in endless evil remain healthy and wealthy and unpunished and feel like they never have to ask God for any forgiveness? 
the story of Adam and Eve describes an ancient alienation from God that has wounded not only humanity, but all of creation. In Romans 8, Paul speaks of creation groaning like a computer virus. Decay and cancer and death have deeply corrupted the hard drive of our world. But our reading today of Revelation 21 shows us that this is not the world that God intends, nor the way that our world's story will finally end. And in the meantime, if we are all wise... I believe it's very good for us to be extremely cautious. Extremely cautious about ever speculating about why anyone else is suffering. We do a lot of this, don't we? But it's good to be cautious about it. To realize that in all of these things we see through a glass darkly. And above all, never to add to people's physical suffering by further burdening them with other suffering as well. Remember the story of Job's friends and how they heaped on suffering to him by giving him simple reasons for his pain. So in our story so far, we've seen Jesus' healing at work on two levels. There's been relational healing as Jesus sees him and treats him like a valued child of God. There's been spiritual healing as Jesus unburdens this man from feeling like he's under a life sentence of suffering from God. And now we finally get to the part that I, probably all of our kids have been waiting for, the part about the saliva and mud. In verse 6 comes this blind man's physical healing. So there's been relational healing, spiritual healing, and now now physical healing. As Jesus makes mud by spitting in the dirt and spreading it all over this man's two eyes. Can you imagine someone ever doing that to you? I don't know about you, but I imagine the blind man whispering to Jesus, Sir, this better work. (laughs) Right? This better work. And after he comes back from his ritual healing, this man is now able to see for the very first time in his life. How wonderful for him suddenly to be able to see everything, the birds in the sky and all the dirt under his fingernails. He can see it all now. And he's so happy now that he tells all of his friends, I once was blind, but now I see. Words that are now part of one of our favorite hymns, Amazing Grace. There's so incredibly much for us to notice in this story, this powerful story 
that stretches out over 42 verses. How those who are blind end up seeing in this story and the religious folk like us who think that we can see are suddenly shown to be blind. We could also notice this man's spiritual awakening as he moves from calling Jesus that man to a prophet and then to the Son of Man and the Messiah, worthy of his worship and devotion. And we could also notice how his healing ripples out to impact and often to offend and threaten everyone around him. It's very interesting. Healing is not always welcomed in the wider circle of people around the healed person. But what I want us to notice this morning, above all, is how Jesus' healing moves this man from isolation to well-being on three different levels that I've been mentioning throughout this sermon. On the physical level, on the relational level, and on the spiritual level. Through Jesus, God's healing brings new well-being, shalom, to the totality of who this man is. Body, mind, and spirit. Nearly one-fifth of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are devoted to stories of Jesus' healing and how everybody responds to them. And there are 41 distinct stories of healing in the New Testament by Jesus. His healings, as we learn in verse 3, are signs of God's glory. Signs that the kingdom of God is breaking into the world to set people free from their physical and spiritual and relational suffering and isolation. Through Jesus, God's power is entering into the world and and the powers of evil and death are being put to flight. The hard drive of our souls and the hard drive of the cosmos is being restored. And through Jesus, the lives of individuals and families and communities are being moved toward the new creation that God intends and that God intended from the beginning, as we hear about in Revelation 21. You know, almost... 20 years ago now, I was in seminary, and I took a course on healing from Marcus Smucker. May he now rest in God's peace. Amen? And it was a class, it was a a spring, one of these three-week intensives. And where's Dottie this morning? There you are. Yeah, well, you know, with Marcus, three weeks, it was an intense intensive. (laughs) And I say that with great love. Marcus would often tell us that by God's design, 
the church is meant to be a healing community. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's the name of our course. Church as Healing Community. And he would often tell us how people who are suffering often experience the triple whammy of isolation that is physical and relational and spiritual. And he'd then say this to us. He'd say we may not be able to bring healing to all three areas, but we can almost bring, almost always bring healing and comfort to one of them. It's very important. I've heard people going to visit someone who's dying and say it's not worth going. No! Not true. Not true. Your presence and my presence can bring great healing. Maybe not physically, but surely spiritual and relational healing to that person in that moment. And it was probably in Marcus's class that I learned something that rocked my theological world. That in the New Testament, salvation and healing are the very same word in Greek. Sozo. Let's all say that. Sozo. And what this means, for example, is that in John 3.17, when it says that our loving God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him, it can also be faithfully translated that in order that the world might be healed through Him. And so, in the kingdom of God, to be saved is to be healed, and to be healed is to be saved. These aren't separate theological realities. They are one. And what it means is that through Jesus, our loving God has invited us here at East Chestnut to be a community of this salvation and healing. For each other, for our neighbors, and for our world. Amen.